the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to our latest episode of our podcast series, both video and audio. Stefan Tubbs with you, News Talk 710 KNUS in Denver, Monday through Friday, 4 to 7 p.m. Since we last had our podcast, it has been now the third court appearance for Dr. James Craig. And if you're just maybe picking up with this episode, again, Dr. Jim Craig, my former dentist for years and years, I knew his wife, Angela, though not well, did attend a couple of public functions with them together. And at another radio station, not only was I a patient, I did Summerbrook Dental in Aurora advertising. So unlike any story that I've covered in my more than 30 years of my career, I'm a little bit more personally involved in this. And I want to just give you a a notice kind of as we begin this episode that we're going to be going over my notes, five, six pages of notes from last Friday. As we record this, it is Monday, April 10th. We'll tell you when the preliminary hearing has been scheduled. That is not until June 2nd. I'll get a little bit more into that a bit later on. But what I want to do is go through these notes and this perhaps more than any other, because we've certainly gone through Much of the affidavit, though really not even fully halfway through, a lot of the text messages between Dr. Jim Craig and his wife, Angela, as she is in the hospital the first couple of times, both of those times in Parker Adventist Hospital in Parker, Colorado, a Denver suburb. Uh, We will pick up at a later podcast with the final week of Angela Craig's life. Now, I do want to say once again that it is not lost upon me that there are six children involved here. Three adults, adults being of course 18 or over. There are still three children under the age of 18. It is not lost upon me. So I want to hit that now. You'll see on your screen there is a GoFundMe. It is the Angela Prey Craig Children's Fund. I urge you, if you are following this story, if you're moved by the fact that six are left without their mother, and at least for now without their father, please give generously to the GoFundMe site. I have talked with a couple of people connected with the GoFundMe page, and they most certainly appreciate anything that you can do to help the kids. And I want to make that clear as we start. So in front of Judge Shay Whitaker, last Friday, as we tape this again, Monday, the 10th of April, there was a status hearing. And this was the first court appearance for 
Jim Craig with his new team of attorneys. The first two times he was inside the Arapahoe County Justice Center, he was represented by the Public Defender's Office. He had, at minimum, three attorneys from the Denver law firm of Recht Kornfeld. Now, I say at least three because there were a total of four defense attorneys there. One of the attorneys, however, was representing three of the adult Jim and Angela Craig children, and we can get into that in, in just a moment. But again, his first court appearance with his new set of attorneys. So the scheduled court time was to begin at 3 p.m. Mountain Time this past Friday. I was in attendance and got into the courtroom 2.35, 2.40, and within 10 minutes, Jim Craig was let in again. The first thing that I noticed, he looked remarkably better. He had looked so haggard, so tired, um, for myriad reasons, and you can be the judge of, of why he may look that way. He was not clean shaven, but he looked like he had definitely had a shower. There appeared to be some hair gel. Uh, his hair was parted. Uh, he seemed to be more with it and more involved from almost the instant that he came into the courtroom. Now, one of the reasons why it's not to be gossipy, it is not to be salacious, but one of the reasons why I probably, in this case, uh, this episode of our podcast series, will be a little bit more descriptive is we told you the last podcast series that Dr. Craig uh, was in court and there were cameras in the courtroom. That was the second time he was in court. This time, the expanded media coverage was rejected by the judge in Arapahoe County, Judge Shea Whitaker, because, and I will be opinionated here, some idiot in the media decided that they would use and post not only the video, which was to be used without audio, they posted on social media audio as well. And I am not about holding punches, you can blame the Daily Mail for violating that judge's ruling. And the reason I bring it up is for the third court appearance, there were no cameras in the courtroom. So forgive me, but that's why I will be a little bit more detailed with his appearance, etc. So at 2.47 on the afternoon of last Friday, Jim Craig was escorted into courtroom 308 by just one sheriff's deputy. I note that because in his second court appearance, there were a total of four different Arapahoe County Sheriff's Office deputies inside the courtroom. This time, only one. There was a brief, brief moment where there were two, but it was basically, to me, from the audience perspective, a shift change. So one came in, they stayed for a couple of minutes, they chatted, and then one left. So there would be one consistent throughout. So Craig was escorted in, and if you're, from his perspective, coming in, to this courtroom, the judge would be seated on the left. You're looking obviously straight ahead. On the left would be the prosecution's table. To the right, there would be the defense team. And in the middle, uh, a podium for attorneys to speak. And then beyond that, of course, the audience members. Uh, looking from Craig's perspective, I was seated on the right-hand side in the first row for this one. I had just flipped from uh, courtroom uh, appearance number two for him. But he came in and he immediately, when he's let in, the jury box is on his right. Now, obviously there's no jury, so there are 12 to 13 chairs that sit empty. And he was told to sit right in what I will call 
uh, jury seat number one. And that was different from his first two court appearances because that's where he would remain for well more than an hour as this status hearing uh, would continue. He was very, very much engaged. And again, I told you I had not made the first court appearance, which was very, very brief. The second court appearance was still fairly brief at less than 10 minutes. This one, well more than an hour. And I will say that as soon as he walked in, there was an immediate, at least we'll call it an attempt on his part, to engage with people who were in the courtroom. And it was remarkably different from the last time. He was uh, head down, uh, zero eye contact, very little communication with his attorneys, though there was some in that second court appearance. I did notice uh, and, and make a note in my notes that he looked just physically better, as if he had had more rest. Uh, he had his orange top on, a white t-shirt underneath it, orange pants, the white socks, and orange... I called them Crocs, but they more or less are, are orange shower shoes. He was again shackled at the feet. So there was the shuffling when he came in just a few steps into the courtroom from uh, the entrance, uh, which is in obviously as you're looking toward the judge, the back of the courtroom. He was not handcuffed, though there were cuffs again on both sides uh, of, uh, of his hands. There was one on his left wrist, one on on his right. And I do note in my notes with even an asterisk that Jim Craig immediately looked into the audience. Uh, I do have it on good authority that one of the adult Craig children, they were inside the courtroom. And I believe I do know who that, that individual male was. Uh, but for the purposes of this, it's neither here nor there. I hope that the children can remain, whether they are adult children or minors, that they remain out of this picture. So Jim Craig sat in that jury chair number one, and he sat alone uh, with his hands folded in front of him. Uh, he did, in making eye contact with some, for the first time, I noticed he smiled at a couple of people. Now, he didn't wave. It was nothing inappropriate, but he smiled and acknowledged a couple of, of individuals. When his attorneys came over, he uh, did shake their hands, kept his, his hands to to his side. There were two women on the right side of the courtroom in the front row and they were uh, toward the wall. I do not know their positive identities, but there was some, some rumor that this may have been a member of Angela Prey Craig's family. I cannot uh, confirm that. He comes in at about 2.47. The judge came in at about 2.56, and there was no all rise. She came in from her chamber entrance and, and basically said, you know, you all may stay seated. Let's, let's get going. And then there was the waiting period. I found it very interesting because uh, normally with, uh, especially in higher profile cases, things are ready to go. Uh, whether you're a member of the media, you better be there on time if you want to see everything. Uh, certainly, if you are a member of the prosecution or defense, you better be there early because things usually do start on time. With this, I found that it was very interesting that court was delayed for almost 15 minutes. And the reason was the lack of a court reporter, physically someone in there doing just like you see on old episodes of any courtroom drama. Uh, they have the ability technically 
and through technology to be sure to record everything and audio and video, but obviously still uh, court reporter was, was not there. Um, there were many times I had, had observed, I should say, uh, Jim Craig almost contemplating where he was, uh, contemplating who was in the audience, and he was much more at least engaged. There was not just simply for, for minutes and minutes on end him looking down and not trying to be as engaged, I think, as he possibly could be without saying uh, anything. Also, on the back wall, so if you are coming into the courtroom, uh, into the court's well, you do have the judge obviously seated up and, and to the right and a couple of other uh, court staff, the sheriff's deputy, and then uh, at ground level, because there is a, a level up where the judge sits, uh, that was where the court reporter would finally, would finally come in. But on that back wall, there's a very large television monitor. And I found it interesting that many, many people were through and connected through this WebEx or Zoom type call. Among them, uh, Jim Craig's parents. They were at that second court appearance. They were actually inside the courtroom. They were connected. And I ended up seeing that nearly 30 people, including Jim Craig's former business partner with Summerbrook Dental, uh, he was there as well. There were many members of Angela's family, brothers and sisters, uh, connected via that, that WebEx. Just want to make a pause and thank you for your interest in these audio and, and video podcasts. My goal in this is to just give you what it was like into the courtroom, go through some of what was discussed, and we'll get to eventually uh, what is ahead on June 2nd, starting at 9 a.m. for his official preliminary hearing. As the names kept popping up on this WebEx monitor, it was interesting. There were members of the media. Again, there were members of her family. There were members of, of his family. And inside, the courtroom was much less packed. Uh, there was not a, a position to, to be had on his second court appearance. But I, I could tell via the expanded interest with those tuned in from out of state that that was obviously a, a logical explanation why the courtroom was not as packed. I would still say there were 20 to 25 people, many members of the media. Uh, I was told, I, I certainly knew of the one producer from CBS's 48 Hours, also told there were people from Dateline and 2020 as well. And I will say they can do what they're going to do. One of our, our purposes of doing this podcast series is to stick to the facts. And the fact that I do have a little bit of an involvement in this, I cannot promise. And obviously I have given some of my opinion, but this is not done to be salacious and grabbing the sexy headlines. I will give you an aside. Uh, one, of the, one of the news organizations or programs that did this had a huge lower third graphic at one point, porn addicted dentist. That is not what, what I'm about. That is not what this podcast series is about. If this does go to trial, you will have those bits of evidence introduced. And it's one of the reasons why I say this has all the potential to be one of the bigger Colorado court cases in recent memory. So the delay of the court reporter was finally overcome. She came in and the continuation of discussion 
while there was the wait for the court reporter. That happened with, with the attorneys and one would go over and sit and then another one would come over and sit. And then things kind of got underway. I noticed that, that Jim Craig took a deep breath several times and would exhale through his mouth. He was attentive. He paid attention to everyone that was speaking. And one of the things that I had not noticed in the first uh, court appearance that I had attended, uh, the reason why I noticed it is because it did not happen. But in this, the first few times that one of his attorneys, again, new to this case, fairly new, and that would be a theme throughout, Your Honor, we haven't had time to, or Your Honor, we're just getting involved in this. One of the attorneys three different times referred to the defendant as Dr. Craig, and that was new to me uh, for what it's worth. I do say again, and it needs to be said, that Jim Craig is innocent until proven guilty, and he appeared in that courtroom, in fact, as an innocent man. So things officially began about 12 minutes late. For the people, I found this to be very interesting. There was the senior chief deputy district attorney, Mr. Morrow, and seated to his right was the district attorney for the 18th Judicial District, a personal friend of mine, District Attorney John Kellner. He was also there with one other from the 18th Judicial. And there, as the court proceedings began, you know, there are the, the typical whispers between attorneys, the judges asking a few questions. And one of the first things that they did get into was, and this was, this was tough to hear, just uh, maybe you're a parent. Uh, I certainly am. Uh, they talked about whether or not Jim Craig in prison or in jail being held right now on premeditated first-degree murder charges, could he have visitation with his three minor children? And the defense wanted that. The people, the prosecution, did not. And among the things that the people, the district attorney's office, said was that it had, quote, serious concerns about potentially manipulating witnesses. And there is still a question, at least as we, we record this on Monday, April 10th, there's a question of exactly, maybe not who, because we understand that three of the minor children are staying with a paternal uncle, but there is the potential of what is going to be the final outcome, who will have custody of these children legally. And the prosecution did get its way. Uh, the judge had ruled that until there was a permanent uh, guardian named, the children would not have any access to their father. Their father would not have any access to the children. And again, as a sidebar, what must these three little kids be going through? And I say three little kids, eight, uh, three kids, 18, 18 or under. They did refer to Angela Craig a few times as uh, the people did the deceased victim. And there was, as I mentioned, a fourth attorney, uh, Ms. Laura Marks Baker. She represented the three adult Craig children and um, a total of the, those four, two women and two men for the defense. They then got into defense motions. And I'm going to basically, for time purposes, be as brief as I can on these. But there was a defense motion dealing with password issues. 
uh, were passwords issued appropriately. If you remember when we've talked about the arrest affidavit at more than 50 pages put together by a female detective with the Aurora Police Department, uh, the passwords were voluntarily given by Jim Craig himself. And that would, if you're, if you're a prosecutor, you would say those passwords unlocked a treasure trove of information. And we've gone through a lot of that from the affidavit. Uh, the next motion was dealing with uh, a defense motion talking about testing. And this is toxicology reports, not necessarily on uh, or having anything to do with Angela Craig and her autopsy, which they do before I forget. They do expect, as we record this, within the next 14 days, they expect toxicology results, at least preliminarily, to be released. And so far, the Arapahoe County Coroner's Office has been very, very tight-lipped. We'll get into that in another uh, episode of our podcast. But the defense basically asked the court, if there's any further testing going on, we want to be there. We have a right to be there. Now, this brought to mind for me among the evidence seized from the Craig's home in Aurora, they did have a couple of small plastic bags, I would assume like Ziploc type bags with, a, I think the exact words were an unknown substance, a white powder. Uh, those types of tests, the defense says, and this is, this is certainly standard protocol, the defense wants to be uh, part of that. And then there was the moment that I made eye contact with my former dentist. It was 3.31, I, I made a note of it in my notes because it was strange. Uh, I, I only half joke, I, I, I truly believe the last time that I had eye contact with Jim Craig was four, five, six years ago when I had a root canal. And I'm not about being ego-driven or braggadocious after 1001, 1002, 1003, 1004, it was me. I looked away. It was uncomfortable. And because I always tell the truth, it was, it was bizarre. It truly was. And I, for those of you watching on video, I looked and I did look down and then I looked back toward the judge. It was, it was quite bizarre. There was nothing mouthed. There was certainly not a pleasant look. But, but that happened at 3.31, and um, it was awkward, to say the least. Um, for the defense motion, by the way, on, on testing, and, and there was another one talking about uh, challenging test results, et cetera, uh, it was ordered that any further testing, the judge ordered any further testing, the prosecution would cooperate, in fact, with the defense. And again, that is absolutely standard uh, protocol. There was another uh, motion by the defense. It was defense motion number six, uh, dealing with the search warrants in this case. And it became very clear because I did talk with the district attorney, uh, with uh, a couple of other reporters as well, after the court proceedings last Friday. And uh, district attorney Kellner made it very clear that this is still an ongoing active investigation, not only with the Aurora Police Department perhaps, but most certainly with district attorney investigators, and that will continue. Uh, they discussed uh, search warrants, and that motion actually was denied defense number six, but these were very, very typical uh, preliminary defense motions that sometimes, I'm no lawyer, but I've covered enough cases, 
a lot of times defense motions uh, seem to be thrown out there and the attitude is let's see what sticks. So that's, that's basically that. There was another and possibly the biggest was the defense motion number seven. And this has to do basically with a gag order. Uh, the defense is very, very concerned about negative anti-Jim Craig pre-trial publicity. The defense, in essence, wanted the judge to say, you've got to issue a ruling prohibiting, even they would say us, but the, the, certainly the members of the district attorney's office and law enforcement. And I, I said this on our radio program, Anyone connected with the Aurora Police Department, from the chief to a patrol officer to detectives, this was basically targeted to you at the Aurora Police Department. And so the judge made a very, very, I guess, very evident, clear message to the attorneys. She said, well, I trust all of you. I don't think any of you will be violating anything. It's others, perhaps, i.e. police officers, maybe someone from the coroner's office. I really don't trust them. We will have a code of conduct, basically. And that is where, when they were talking about this overall gag order or uh, banning anyone from talking to the press, uh, I wrote down a quote from one of the defense attorneys that there has been, Your Honor, a great deal of interest in this case. In fact, international interest, and we've certainly gone over this on the... uh, on the podcast, both video and audio. All this time, I found that Jim Craig was, was paying attention. There would be times when during an argument by one attorney, another attorney would go into that jury box and sit next to him. They would whisper. Again, I can't emphasize enough, just the night and day compared to his second court appearance and the one last week. In essence, the best way to describe it is, as far as the gag order, it's a mini gag order. Uh, And that is certainly subject to interpretation, but the judge made it very clear that she is going to be watching things very, very closely. Uh, As we get toward the end of this podcast, just going over Jim Craig's third court appearance at the Arapahoe County Justice Center in courtroom 308. Their next, I guess, defense motion was known as Defense Motion 9, And they were talking about search warrants. Now, I found this to be, just as an observer in the courtroom, having covered cases before, this is almost, with all due respect, an eye roll to me. Uh, One of the defense motions was expressing the deep concern that HIPAA may be violated for some of the Summerbrook dental patients. And they were talking about these passwords and we can't have as part of investigations and reporters looking into public documents, we can't have a patient's rights violated. Now, I understand that, but we also heard in open court how there is a program called the Dentrix program that was not even accessed by detectives with the Aurora Police Department. So to me, it was a non-starter. It was a non-issue. It was really a moot point. But attorneys are who attorneys are, and they made it very clear that they did not want any patient information to be available publicly. I think, to be quite honest with you, the judge off the record would agree with me that this hasn't happened. But yes, they did a defense motion, again, throwing something against the wall to see if it would stick. They also talked about 
uh, fingerprinting and things that are germane to the case versus, again, opening up, for example, that Dentrix program uh, that quite frankly could have my personal dental records and information. In wrapping up, we learned a couple of things for certain. As I mentioned toward the top, toxicology results will be coming, at least preliminarily, to the defense and the prosecution and to detectives within the next couple of weeks. So now, because that was Friday, we're looking at within the next 10 or 11 days, if not sooner. It was about this time, and I made a note of this in my notes, that Jim Craig started looking a little bit overwhelmed because they started to talk about the next court appearance, which will be to date, the most important one. And that will be, does the judge feel that the people, it has presented enough evidence to hold this man over for a murder trial? And he looked overwhelmed. I, I did note that on a couple of occasions, especially during the latter portion of this third court appearance, they start talking about dates. And once again, as I've indicated in the first or second podcast we did, my personal take is the man is looking toward, and he had almost turned behind him to look at the wall with large pieces of paper on it, each piece of paper a month of the year. And I just wonder still, even when he did this, uh, this past Friday, what does time mean to Jim Craig right now with such damning evidence presented in the 50 plus page arrest affidavit? But he looked intently for multiple minutes over the course of maybe 10 minutes there were times when they were going back and forth trying to all coordinate a date for the preliminary hearing. He was very interested in the calendar, and that was really some of the most engaging that he did. You have this well more than an hour third court appearance, and they finally get to when can we do it. I found it astonishing that one of the first things that the defense talked about was moving the preliminary hearing date out all the way to the month of August, which is stunning. I still, again, my personal take, I can't believe that they would have even floated something like that being so far out, regardless of how long they'd been on the case. Uh, they talked about June, and it was not good for the court. Uh, May was not good for the court or the attorneys. I mean, we got down to... I'm going out of town, Your Honor, one of the defense attorneys. I'm going out of town on family medical leave. I mean, it was just back and forth. It was almost ludicrous, if I, if I may be so blunt. They finally did settle on a preliminary hearing date of Friday, June 2nd at 9 a.m. inside that same courtroom, 308, at the Arapahoe County Justice Center. This is where witnesses will be called. This is where evidence will be, at least early stage, be presented what will the defense be? And the, the betting person, if you are one, at least at this point, the judge will say, yes, there's probable cause and this will go to trial. Once that decision is made, I don't know if this even happens, to be quite honest, in 2024. That's just how the legal system works. So again, June 2nd, a Friday on the court's calendar, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And they did talk about, and I'll wrap with this, uh, the pervasive media coverage. Now, it is certainly plausible that whether it's me 
representing my station or other stations for this preliminary hearing on Friday, June 2nd, there will be a filing for expanded media coverage, meaning cameras in the courtroom. The judge has a reason to be not too happy with what happened earlier. Will she grant cameras in the courtroom? And because of the length and the importance of the preliminary hearing, this is where you're probably going to, I'd be surprised, stunned to see uh, if there was not a, a court artist and a sketch artist. Um, and the final note for this podcast, the attorney talking about the, quote, pervasive media coverage, and again earlier indicated that they know that this is international in scope. This is not just a, a, an Aurora or an Arapahoe County or even a Colorado story, that there's interest across the country and around the world. The defense did request that at his next court appearance, which will be the uh, preliminary hearing, um, and let me strike that because they do have a status conference before, but that will be very quick, uh, so it may not be this one. But in essence, the defense team made it clear to the judge for the preliminary hearing, we want our client, Dr. James Craig, we want him in civilian clothing. Appreciate your interest in this story. I want to say one more time, there is the GoFundMe account. Uh, as of our record time, more than $60,000 raised or donated of a $100,000 goal. If this does, does concern you, if you're interested, I want to make sure that you have the availability. You know it's on GoFundMe. It's the Angela Prey Craig Children's Fund. For producer Mark Crowley, I'm Stephen Tubbs. We'll talk to you next time, and we appreciate your interest. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.